Reverends, we're thinking today together in our Everyday Holy series about sacred places and the idea of sanctuary. That word sanctuary has its roots in the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. And, and that word holy means devoted entirely to worship or to the presence of God. All these words, holy and sacred and sanctuary and saints, they have a good bit of mystery in them, don't they? And they take some unpacking. Today, I hope to do the same kind of demystification that Rich helped us with last week. He reminded us that saints are those who are set aside to serve God and that you and I and many others are saints. This week, we'll talk about holy places and spaces. And I hope we will tear down some walls and rip some curtains so that you can know that this is a real part of your life and your faith. And we just have to start right here in our own sanctuary. Many of us find that this place is holy ground. I know not all of you worshiping with us online have ever joined us here in the sanctuary, but I hope uh, that as travel gets easier, you'll be able to come and visit us in person here in the sanctuary sometime. When I'm in this place, I'm thinking about Jesus and all he has done for me and all the saints here. I've known this place for 50 years. I was a little girl of 10 when we first got here. I played under those pews. I watched my father preach to us year after year. He baptized and married and saw us off to heaven right here. I walked down that aisle as a bride on my father's arm. My three children were baptized right over there. My father's funeral was here. Right over there in the transept near the windows was where I used to sit and weep after my father died when I was grieving hard because it was the place that I could sit that the fewest people would see that I was crying. And, and now you know that good secret about our sanctuary. My daughter was married here and I did the wedding. I was ordained right here, kneeling in front and having friends and elders and pastors lay their hands on me and pray for me. I've presided over weddings and funerals and I've baptized little ones here. I've even once seen a vision of my father in the back of the sanctuary. One Sunday during worship, I was sitting up, getting ready to lead worship up here, and I looked towards the back and saw him in a white suit and a striped tie, bending over an older lady in the last row, taking her hand and greeting her. And as I looked, people stepped between them, and when they parted, he was no longer there, nor was she, not to my eyes. I believe that he and many others who have lived and believed are still here. They're still here worshiping as a part of the cloud of witnesses that belong to heaven and to us, and usually they are unseen. In this sanctuary where all of us have prayed and wept and sung and laughed and heard the words of life, this place has become sacred ground and sanctuary because we have poured our hearts and souls into it for over a hundred years. Many of us have sat in these pews for holy milestones of our lives. And this space has echoes for all of us of those times of joy and grief and excitement for the future. God has met us here time and time again. All of that is right here 
in this sanctuary. Where are your holy places, your refuges, your places of safety? Where are the places that you go to be in the presence of God? Where are you most aware of Jesus? Many of you as part of your travels, and and I hope soon we will all get to do that again, you will check into other sanctuaries. Because I'm preaching now, I get to show you my favorite one in all the world, Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Every person who steps into that place looks up and smiles, always looking up. It could be that part of what makes a place holy is that you look up when you're there. There are sacred places all over the world, not just cathedrals, but also natural wonders that speak of God's holiness to us. Here are some favorites of mine. First, Montreal uh, has their own Notre Dame, and this is what it's like. And then, of course, there are the Muir Woods near San Francisco. Uh, One of the places that you're going to see is called Cathedral Grove, believe it or not. And, of course, the Grand Canyon, that place where we feel God's closeness as we look at his beautiful creation. One of the things we're looking for when we travel is sanctuary, isn't it? A place where we sense God is near. We find it in God's creation and then the careful creations of human hands and hearts, sanctuaries of holy beauty. Where do we get the idea that we need sanctuary? Back in the very beginning of things, we had the garden. There Adam and Eve and God walked together in freedom and in joy. The garden was the first place of beauty and peace where heaven and earth met. And that's what we're going to learn about sanctuary in the lives of the faithful. Sanctuaries are places where heaven and earth meet. You could say that the whole story of God's people after we lost the garden was the story of God trying to find a way to bring us back into the presence of God, back into sanctuary. There are times when God pierced into normal life and people knew they were on holy ground. Like the time that Moses saw the burning bush and heard God speak to him. But that was not a place he could easily revisit or bring other people to see. Still, God's people long to find those places where heaven and earth meet. During their years of wandering in the wilderness after God freed them from slavery in Egypt, God found a way to be with them in a place of worship, a movable place they could take with them as they traveled. Moses got the instructions from God and he led the people in the project of assembling gifts and precious, beautiful materials and craftsmen to create the tabernacle. That's Hebrew for a dwelling place or a residence of God, a place where heaven and earth met, where there would be space for the worshiping life of God's people. There would be room for sacrifices, offerings, cleansing, and a special screened central place for the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments, their most holy possession. Here's what happened as the tent of meeting and the tabernacle at its center were dedicated in the crowning finish of the book of Exodus. Listen, God's presence came and filled the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of the journey. The beauty of the tabernacle was that the people could clearly see that God was with them as they wandered and journeyed. The very same God who had freed them was with them on their journey. Can you imagine the comfort and inspiration they received from having this sanctuary of their own, this holy place at the core of their camp? Truly a place where heaven met earth. Now, what happened when God's people finally did reach the promised land? They continued to use the tabernacle until the golden age and the time of King David. One day in his palace, David got the idea of a more permanent fixed sanctuary. Now, when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, see now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I've moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? It seems that God is not that enamored of the idea of a fixed permanent sanctuary. He says, I never asked for that. In later scripture, he tells David that he is too much a man of war to build the temple, but that his son would build it. And so Solomon did build the first temple in Jerusalem, and it was beautiful, costly, special. One of those places where heaven met earth. As there had been in the tabernacle, there were courts around the temple where you could approach. Only so close if you were a Gentile, a little closer if you were a woman, and then an area only for the men then a curtained off area only for the priest, only once a year, the place called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. So there were limits and boundaries and some keep out aspects of the temple as there had been with the tabernacle. The people of God were proud and happy to have their temple, their own holy place, and they gathered there every year for festivals and celebrations. We know that the renown of Solomon's temple was widespread and that the queen of Sheba or Ethiopia made a special pilgrimage just to see it. But there came terrible times when enemies came in and defeated the people and destroyed the temple, tearing it down and scattering the holy things inside. This happened when Babylon conquered them in 586 BC. 
And then the second temple was built in 516 BC and it remained through Jesus' time until it was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. There is now remaining of the temple only the Western Wall, sometimes called the Wailing Wall. From the time of the second temple, that wall is, has been and has served for a place of prayer for observant Jews and other visitors where they pray and leave prayers poked into little holes on the walls on little notes. Can you imagine what the people of God felt when their temple was destroyed? You can catch a glimpse of what they may have felt in the faces of people who have lost their church to fire, tornado, hurricane, or vandalism, or racism. This is a picture of a church that was burned in Louisiana. People grieve and weep. And then there is a turn of thought. They remember that they have not lost their faith or their God but only a building made by hands. You will remember how people felt when Notre Dame in Paris burned due to a spark caused by construction. They grieved, but then they sang songs of faith in God. Let's watch. Whenever people lose their sanctuary, it seems that after a period of grief, God does something wonderful. God reminds them, I was never limited or captured to that sanctuary. In the words of Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. Temple or no temple, sanctuary or no sanctuary, God is still with his people wherever they are, however they are scattered. However, missing or damaged their sanctuary, God is still present and powerful to help. There's a strain of thought in the Bible that reminds us that God is not limited to the places we consider holy. You'll remember that when Jesus was crucified, that the curtain that walled off the Holy of Holies and the temple was torn from top to bottom. That God freed God's self of confinement. He exploded into the whole world. Let's see what it's like when someone in the Bible realizes that God is free and everywhere and that while he was going about his business, he realized God was there with him all along. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place and he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go 
and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob learns that God is free, and God is everywhere, ready to pierce into our every day and make it holy. God is not trapped in a tabernacle or a temple. God is not confined to our holy of holies. God can transform any place into holy ground. Remember when Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what? There I am in the midst of them. Be alert, be aware that God can make the everyday places and times of your life holy. I learned about this a long time ago when I was a chaplain at Presbyterian Hospital in Philadelphia. One night I was called to one of the ICUs where a woman was dying. Her adult children were gathered around. One son held her feet under the blankets and wept. I asked if they would like me to pray. And as I prayed, I could tell from the sound of the monitors that she was fading. I got to the end of the prayer and I began the Lord's Prayer. And as I began it, I could hear many voices. The nurses and doctors had come in and joined hands around her bed with her family. And they were praying too. I could tell she was someone very special. As we prayed, I felt something big come in behind me and spread out on both sides of me. We finished the prayer. We said amen. The lady took one more breath and the presence behind me folded and left with her. We had been on holy ground and everyone knew it. I wonder now if that woman was someone very great because she was so much loved on this side and on the next. Another unexpected sanctuary, another holy ground that happened unexpectedly in my life, uh, believe it or not, came when I was seated at a banquet table for a business conference of my husband's. I know, I did not expect that. We had gone a few years back to Germany for a big worldwide kidney doctors conference. Kidney doctors are nephrologists, by the way. The centerpiece of the celebration is the gala dinner where the doctors and their non-doctor spouses gather. Because my husband was a part of the planning committee for this conference, we sat at the dignitary's table. Seated next to me was the eminent kingmaker of all American and worldwide nephrologists. We will call him Dr. Joel. He was known for being temperamental. My husband, stranded across the table from us, looked at the two of us seated together and without words, told me that his career was in my hands and I should not screw this up. So I turned to Dr. Joel and I introduced myself. Oh yes, I know who you are, you're the pastor. Yes, I said. He said, I myself am not religious. I don't like organized religion. I would say that I'm an, an agnostic or maybe only culturally Jewish. I think there are many paths to enlightenment, he said. I see, I said. But he said, there are times, there are moments, 
This one time in Africa when we went to take medical care and the children were so beautiful and he began to tear up. And there was this one time, he said, and he pulled out his handkerchief and covered his face with it. My husband was looking desperately at me across the table. There are times when I think, he said, there must be something, there must be someone more out there. I nodded. There are times when I think that someone is there guiding us, guiding me. Yes, I said. Do you mind if I tell you a story, he said. I said, I would love to hear it. He said, every time I travel to Europe, I go into antique shops and if I find a Torah, I get it out of there. I know it was taken from a synagogue that was destroyed by the Nazis and I want to get it back. It's like a rescue, he said. So this one time I found this old Torah in Vienna in an antique shop, tattered and torn and really beat up, and I bought it. And I had to catch my flight right after that. And it was big, and so I just took it in my arms and I carried it in the taxi. When I got to the airport, I didn't want to check it. I just wanted to hold on to it. So I carried it to the gate. It was bigger than a carry-on, but no one tried to get me to let go of it. And I sat down and held it in my arms all the way from Vienna to JFK. I'd never put it down. Now, just checking in here. Does it sound like this so-called agnostic, only culturally religious man had simply a historical interest in this Torah? No. Everything about him said, this is a holy thing. Now I am the guardian of it. I have rescued it, and I love it so much that I would carry it in my arms for the length of a transatlantic flight. And by the way, it sounds as though the airline staff looked at him and knew it was holy as well. So I got off the flight at JFK, Dr. Joel said. I was walking through the concourse with the Torah in my arms. I was tired and I was beginning to think, I'm not sure what to do with this Torah. I bought it, but it doesn't belong to me. What he didn't say was, it belongs to God. But that was on his face and in his voice. All of a sudden, he said, as I walked down the concourse toward my flight back to the West Coast, a man approached me. He wore a black suit and a black hat, yet a long black beard. He asked me, do you know what you're carrying? Dr. Joel said, yes, I do. It's a Torah, a Torah that was taken from a synagogue by the Nazis. I found it in an antique store. I bought it to get it out of there. The man asked, do you know what you're going to do with it? Dr. Joel said, no, I don't. It belongs in a synagogue, I think. The man said, yes. It should have a community of worshipers that it belongs to. The man then said, sir, here is my card. I am a restorer of Torahs. I take Torahs that have been damaged or burned or defaced and I restore them. And then I find a home for them, a synagogue that needs a Torah. Would you be willing for me to take your Torah and restore it? Dr. Joel said, would you? And there in the airport, where Dr. Joel just so happened to cross paths with a man who restores Torahs, he put the scrolls carefully into that man's arms. He made the same motions that you or I would make if we put a sleeping newborn into someone's welcoming arms. Dr. Joel said to me, someone was guiding me. 
I think it was God. And to know God is watching and helping, to realize that God brought me into the path of the man who restores Taurus, and he sat and wept at the banquet table, and I did too. My poor husband across the table did not know if his career was either gonna crash or soar. But there at the banquet, we found a meeting place on holy ground. And at the airport, when he and the man met and he transferred the Torah into his arms, that was holy ground. And in the antique shop, when he spotted it and got it out of there, that was holy ground. All along the way, and now Dr. Joel thinks maybe all his life long, he has been on sacred ground because there has been one who is watching and guiding, one who pierces into the everyday and makes it holy. Sacred ground all around. In the midst of our lives, we can find ourselves like him, suddenly enfolded by sanctuary where heaven and earth suddenly meet. Where can we find our own holy places, a cathedral, our own sanctuary, a forest, the sea, a hospital, a banquet table, a conversation that changes the course of your life, a moment with a pastor or a therapist, the birth of a baby, the death of a beloved loved one, a song that brings you to tears or laughter, a simple meal with a friend. The presence of God is in all these places. God who is ready to pierce into our everyday and make it holy. God is really ready to break down the walls and tear the curtains and find you wherever you are. Keep your eyes open for the times when God makes heaven meet earth and find your sanctuary there. Won't you pray with me now? Oh Lord, we know you have been there our whole lives long, that you love to enter our every day and make it holy. Lord, break down our walls and find us wherever we are. We thank you for those places that we already call sanctuary and for the times and places when you surprise us and show us your glory. Lord, we know you are free in the world, unconfined, and we lift our hearts to you, expecting to see you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.